0: Welcome to this episode of Safe Home Podcast, for struggling teens and their families finding their healing path. I'm Beth Cyverson, a mom of an 18-year-old son, Joey, who's been dealing with addiction and mental health issues for several years. I'm walking beside him as he struggles with his recovery, while I work on my own personal growth and healing. I'm very happy to say that this episode is sponsored by Beth Hansen and Lori Hansen. Thank you so much, Beth and Lori. We love you. If any of you are interested in sponsoring a future episode, please get a hold of me at hello at safehomefamilies.com. Today's guest is Tracy Struckman, an Indiana-based recovery coach who has eight years of recovery from a wicked heroin addiction. She now helps others who are struggling with addiction to find long-term recovery. She's just completing her licensure to become a licensed clinical social worker. And she does online consulting and workshops for people who struggle with addiction as well as their families. Welcome to Safe Home, Tracy. Hi, Beth. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm so glad you're here. Well, I know this is audio and they can't see you, but if anyone saw you on the street, they would never guess that you used to be a heroin addict. I get that a lot. Whatever that looks like. You know, people have an idea of what what a heroin addict is supposed to look like, so I wonder if you could tell us your story and how you got to this place where you're helping others now. What was it like when you were a kid? When did you start using substances?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I I did not come from a family that had a history of substance abuse whatsoever. Mm -hmm. I had a super great childhood. My my parents were uh, fantastic. They Nobody in my family family did drugs, nobody even smoked cigarettes or or anything. Um so that was kind of off the wall there in terms of that. But we we had a great childhood and getting into my teen years, I think I struggled a little bit with my self-esteem. I think I was maybe looking for a way to fit in. And mm-hmm. that's how I initially began getting involved with drugs and things like that. And high school, you know, it started out with just marijuana and drinking and whatnot. And then that eventually progressed uh, later on into a heroin addiction.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I struggled with that heroin addiction for many years. I was in and out of jails, in and out of treatment centers. And I mean, pretty much every consequence that you can suffer from an addiction, I I did. Mm. So luckily, like you said today, I'm able to say that I have eight years sober and I have been working ever since then to build a better life and you know, today I work from home. I am doing my recovery coaching, earning my licensure as a therapist and I'm able to help other people get out of that place that I was in also.
0: That's so admirable to turn it up, turn it around and help transform other people uh, because you were transformed. So that's amazing. That's amazing. Now, I imagine heroin was not the first thing you picked up. Did you say it was alcohol or how, how did that progress and how long did it take from the first substance all the way to heroin?
1: So alcohol was my first substance that was started probably around eighth grade when I was about 13, you know, with my girlfriends, we would kind of experiment and drink alcohol occasionally. And then in high school, we moved on to marijuana, drinking marijuana use and occasionally pills and things like that through high school. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And then heroin was introduced when I was about 19.
0: Uh
1: So you did get through high school.
0: You graduated yes. from high school the regular way? I, I did. I graduated from high school. So you were one of those kids that could
1: Was it just partying on the weekends? No, it it was a little more than that. I ended up getting suspended from school a couple times I and mean, it was definitely I mean the all the red flags that this okay. was going in the wrong direction okay. were there. You were a
0: problematic user. Yes. And then what what were your plans? Like what did you see yourself doing after high school and then how did that work? (laughs) Did that happen or no?
1: (laughs) Well, I was going to be a cosmetologist. I went to cosmetology school in high school and I was going to cut hair when I got out, Mm -hmm. but I actually ended up quitting from the salon. And then the job that I got after that, I was working in a casino and that's where I actually met people that had introduced me to heroin. And then it progressed pretty quickly from there once I was introduced to heroin and it, it went downhill pretty quickly. So the casino crowd is probably not the most
0: wholesome wholesome crowd, I'm gonna guess.
1: I mean, it could have just been a few a few strays that got in there at the same yeah. time that I did, I guess. Yeah. But I worked valet, we parked cars. There. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Okay. So you're, parking. oh, so you were introduced to heroin and in what form did you start using heroin? Yeah. So I I started out just, just snorting it. That's usually the way people first start out. Uh And then eventually that progressed to intravenous use.
0: My friend and life coach, Heather, her daughter was addicted to heroin and she was trying to use harm reduction and was just snorting it. And it
1: was laced with fentanyl and she died. Oh wow. Yeah. Fentanyl has replaced heroin on the streets yeah. today and it seems to be uh quite a bit more powerful. It's
0: horrible and it, it can just be yeah. in anything. It's it's terrible. So was fentanyl kind of on the table when you were using heroin or was it not really
1: fentanyl was not really around when I was okay. using it, was it was all heroin. Oh, okay. Just so, plain old heroin. But even yeah, plain still old it could heroin, have been. yeah. <laughs> it could have been laced with stuff like
0: additives and, I don't know, yucky stuff, right? Metals and stuff.
1: Yeah. I mean, you you tend to get it from not so trustworthy people. So yeah, yeah you, you never know what it could be cut with or what it could actually have in it.
0: Yeah. Besides just the regular side effects of heroin, did you ever have a bad reaction or an overdose by accident or anything like that?
1: I had times where I did it and then immediately lost consciousness but I woke up shortly after so technically oh. I have not had an overdose. Okay. I did watch my boyfriend at the time overdose. I had to oh. revive him and then call 911 and they had Did to you come. have Narcan? I didn't. No, I gave him CPR and I called 911 oh. and then they I I assume that the ambulance Narcaned him at that point. Yeah,
0: they always carry it. Do you
1: recommend people have Narcan for such occasions? I do. I I know a lot of places are putting free Narcan out, Narcan boxes around the city so that people do have access to Narcan if they uh, come across somebody overdosing. I do have Narcan in my home. I have it in my car just in Mm -hmm. case you ever come across somebody. It, It can save a life.
0: Yeah. I put it in my car too. And uh, just my son doesn't live with us anymore, but whenever I'm with him, I'll be with my car. So I have it in the glove compartment of my car and you never know if somebody else might be struggling too. And for those of you that don't know, Narcan is a nasal spray that anyone... It doesn't, you don't have to get a medical degree to use this thing. You just put it up someone's nose and push the button and push the plunger and it, it will reverse an opioid overdose. It literally Uh will bring someone back to life. So it seems like an easy thing to do just to keep thing in your glove compartment or keep it in your house. And uh, for parents out there, I gave a box to my son, two boxes to my son and said, here, make sure your friends know where this is. Make sure you know that it's available in case you or anybody in the house, you know, accidentally or on purpose overdoses. And I was a little afraid he would be pissed at me. Like, how dare you think that I would use an opiate? But he was so grateful. He's like, God, mom, thank you. You want me to stay alive. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much. So absolutely. So, yeah. So hopefully he'll never have to use it, but it's it's there in case he does. So. That's a really important tool. I I hope I'm actually fighting at my college campus where I work to get them to do a, a program. They used to have a program, but they quit it. I'm sure there's a ton of red tape, but where they would just give it out at the health center for people who asked for
1: it. So trying to get that back on board. That's great that you're doing that. There are very strong opinions about giving free Narcan to people. What's the downside? Or what um, do people say is the downside? Well, I'm, I've am i seen articles online announcing the implementation of these Narcan boxes and the, the comments on those articles tend to be very nasty. Like you're enabling them to keep using? Kind of. Yeah, that or, you know, our tax dollars shouldn't be spent Ugh. on addicts and Ugh. things like that. Yeah, that's
0: disgusting. And just that one of the reasons I do this podcast with and the re- reason Joey and I started is to reduce the stigma of people who use drugs. It's not. <gasps> it's such an overwhelming <laughs> thing. But uh, people who are addicted to things are not bad people. They're not broken. They're not trying to screw themselves up or trying to mess up anybody else. They're. they're do you agree with this the addiction is not really the problem. It's a symptom of whatever else is going on that is the underlying problem. That that And that's a piece that the culture needs to kind of
1: get on board to help. Do you agree with that concept? Absolutely. And I think that a lot of people don't take that into consideration when they do judge people mm-hmm. with an addiction issue. Mm-hmm. They immediately think that they made poor choices and, and mm-hmm. that's it. But it's, it's like you said, it's a lot more than that. You never know why somebody is going to become addicted. Mm-hmm. But yes, there's often a lot of underlying issues. There could be an undiagnosed mental illness. You know, mm-hmm. someone could have been through severe trauma and they're mm-hmm. trying to cope. It could mm-hmm. be a lot of different things.
0: Yeah, definitely. In Joey's case, we believe that his adoption trauma has contributed greatly to his desire to cover up those really bad feelings. And also he found a group of kids that were also Asian like him to use weed with. And it was like perfect combination, peer uh-huh. pressure, a sense of community, numbing, numbing out with weed. Like, and then you go, there you go. He's off to the races and then yes. he's looking for the next thing to get because he get, you know, you get used to whenever you're using and then you need more and more and more. Yeah. Uh is there are you interested in talking about what you think is underneath your addiction or was it just peer pressure
1: or Yeah, I I think I struggled to find my place mm-hmm. in middle school and early mm-hmm. high school. I never seemed to really fit in very well with my group of girlfriends and I, I think yeah. I was just looking for that way to fit in and that way yeah. to be accepted and Yeah, know. for sure. And you found
0: it, I'm sure, with your people that were, were doing the substances with you, right? It was like right. a little family. Yeah. 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 Um out of out of those people that you spent time with in high school, how many of them went totally off the rails? How many of them turned out just, you know, went the regular way? How did that turn out for all of your peers that were using substances with you?
1: I would say there's a couple that, that went off the rails and it ended badly for, Mm -hmm. but there was quite a few who went on to have great lives also without any issues. I would say the majority went on to have great lives.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Most people can party in their adolescence and be fine. Mm -hmm. And then some are going to get hooked. Like, Mm -hmm like really, really hooked. And I don't know, I know there's like a propensity. Some people have something in their brain that makes it more possible, more probable that they would be addicted, but it's no guarantee either way. Right. So it's a little bit playing with fire. You don't know if you're going to be the one that's going to get sucked in or if you can just party and then be done with it when you're 21 and, you know, throw it away, you know, right? it's such a risk. Yeah. Oh, gosh. What was it like, like in your darkest times, like where did heroin take you? I know you said you were incarcerated. Did you hit a rock bottom?
1: What What did that look like? I did hit a rock bottom. It was a very hard rock bottom. Mm. Towards the end of my addiction, I had been in and out of jail. So I was often on the run also from mm arrest warrants. So I couldn't go home during that time. Mm -hmm. So I would just stay where I could. And and that was awful.
0: Kind of couch surfing? Yes.
1: Yeah. I stayed in in kind of awful places and it's just, it's hard to not have a home. So that was a, that was an awful time. I was just using all day and avoiding my arrest warrant. And then eventually I got, I got picked up on that and I was not only sent to jail, but I spent time in prison at that point. And it was when I got out of prison, I went into a halfway house and that's when my perspective started to change.
0: So in the halfway house, they had a program or somebody that mentored you or helped you shift or was it just your time you decided to shift?
1: I think it was just my time. Uh Yeah. I think everybody has to get there in their own time. Yeah.
0: Was there any sort of services in jail or prison that helped you, or was it just like holding holding you?
1: For me, no. I did not have a lengthy sentence, so there okay. were no rehabilitation programs available to me. There mm. were some rehabilitation programs in prison. There was typically a wait list for them, and you had to have a pretty lengthy sentence of oh. at least a couple years to- okay be entered into those programs. Oh,
0: so if you're not there for a long, long time, they really just, they're just babysitting you and then you go back out and then, (laughs) so it's not a lot of transformation that occurs, I bet.
1: Yes, and I think that's one of the huge flaws in our criminal justice system. Yeah,
0: well, I don't think they really want to help the situation because they're making a lot of money off of it, right?
1: Yeah, (laughs) America has... Some of the highest repeat offender rates in the world yeah. and yeah. they they know that they're aware yeah. of that and yeah. nothing is changing. So yeah, I don't think they want to.
0: I remember in high school, I did a speech about recidivism in high school and like nothing's changed. That was like <laughs> years ago. Come on. Diego. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think they like it kind of the way it is. It's reliable income, a little revolving right. door in and out, in right. and out, in and out. So, when you decided to shift at the halfway house, did you have a vision? Did you hear a voice? Was it a click or was it kind of a more subtle shift for you?
1: Well, so while I was in the halfway house, I actually became pregnant with my first child. Which okay. I know very, very classy conception <laughs> story. I know. But no, when I became pregnant, That's when the shift happened. My, my perspective started to change. I bonded with my baby and I decided that I needed to grow up now. Okay. I needed to do what I needed to do to provide for them. Yeah. You're
0: the second person I've interviewed about, about addiction that said, yeah, it was having a kid that, that turned me around. I'm now responsible for someone else. It's not just me. Right. Because If it were just for you, most people who are addicted, don't give a damn about themselves. Right. No,
1: my, my life wasn't enough. I didn't care about mine.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But you cared about this child even in utero or after she was born?
1: Yeah. Even before.
0: Even before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause you're like, Oh dang, I'm growing something in here and what I do will matter to her. Yes. Very good. And, and then was she born healthy and everything and everyone lived happily ever after? (laughs)
1: Pretty much, yeah, yeah. He was he was born a healthy boy. Oh, it was a he's now. Yeah, that's okay. He's now seven, and Um, I have two other boys also, and I've been clean ever since then. You know, and I've been building for us ever since then. What do you mean building? Well, when you are in addiction, you you ruin your life. Essentially you, you ruin every part of it. So mm-hmm. I've been rebuilding for mm-hmm. years to wow. create a good place for us. Yeah. I wonder your little ones. I think you have a,
0: a two-year-old and a baby, right? Seven, two and yes. a baby. Yeah. The little ones probably have no
1: idea, but does your seven-year-old know anything about your story? I am honest with him about it. Yeah. it It's come up from time to time. I mean, he, he doesn't really understand drugs and things, but he knows that there was a time in my life that I made bad decisions Mm -hmm. and that I chose to make good decisions for him. So
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. now, okay. It's, I know it feels like far off, but it won't be too long and he'll be an adolescent and it's happening really young nowadays. Anyway, like 10, 11, things start to shift for them. What are you going to do? If your son starts having trouble or starts getting curious about alcohol or drugs, or you know, what's going to be your stance about substances with your
1: own kids? That is a good question. (laughs) I think I will just always be honest with them, you know, always be honest in regard to what it is, the consequences that can happen. You know, there's a lot of substances out there that are okay that are legal for people which can be confusing to people as well mm-hmm. so kind of explaining the difference between those things or the lack thereof yeah letting him know my story i think will be an important piece also mm-hmm. and i mean my goal is prevention i want to nurture him as much as possible i want to have him be secure in himself as much as possible.
0: Mm-hmm. That sounds excellent. And all of that is the kind of the things we talk about at Safe Home about keeping that line of communication open, being non-judgmental, helping kids before they get to be teenagers if they have any underlying trauma or mental health issues or anything like that. Learning disabilities even can totally derail people sometimes if if they're undiagnosed. So it sounds like that you are totally on the right track. What do you think about the parents that say, do not ever touch any of
1: it. Do not go near it. Just say no.
0: Does that work for people?
1: I I don't know that that method, I'll say everybody's different, but that method typically isn't the most effective. Um, You know, same way, for abstinence and sex in school, yeah. you know. Yeah. We we talk about that in health class and they used to preach abstinence until they mm-hmm. realized that that wasn't working. So yeah. then they started Im- implementing other things and letting people know the things that they needed to know. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I agree. I don't think it's the kind of thing that parents should say, "Well, I know you're going to do this, so come on home and do it right here with me." Anyway, I think that's way too far the other direction, but the But let's talk about this because you'll probably see this at school or at a party or something. And let's talk about what it is, you know, what's good about it, what's bad about it, how it's harmful, you know, how it could kill you, you know, depending what they're using. And uh, just giving kids the information and the access to you to be that resource for them. Because if you don't talk to them about it, they're going to just talk to their friends about it who may not be that bright (laughs) or may not have their best interest in mind. Yes, there is a a middle ground. Yeah, yeah, that middle ground of finding that openness. And, you know, when your kids are teenagers, you can't pick them up and tell them what to do anymore. They they're going to do what they're going to do. Right. You can't walk through their life with them. You know, at a certain point, they're old enough, they're going to start making those choices. So having those conversations early on is so important how how did that work with your family you said no one no one used drugs or substances so it probably was not on the tip of everyone's tongue when you were growing up but did you feel like when you started using or when you were struggling did you feel like you could go to your parents and talk to them about it or no
1: no they never talked to me about drugs, as far as I can remember. I think the only thing that I knew about drugs was from health class. I mean, oh. it was not a regular conversation. Was it Just Say No back then? Or Yes. Yep. Was it like the D.A.R.E. program and Just Say No? And- yep. We had the yeah. D.A.R.E. program in school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ugh, not a big fan. And they were... Kind of on the strict side. So I Okay. That was not something that I wanted to tell them. No.
0: Yeah. So you would have gotten reamed if you had said, Oh, by the way, I just tried cannabis and uh, yes. I'm not sure how this is gonna go. You know? Yes. That would not end well, I don't uh, think. <laughs> now when did they find out? How long was it before they found out you were using substances?
1: Well, I I got caught having weed at school in ninth grade. So, okay, and was this like a
0: joint or this was before vaping? No, or were you vaping?
1: No, not really vaping back then. Okay, no, I don't think it was really a big thing.
0: I don't know yeah. how old you are, but you're <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: I'm 31. But <laughs> Yeah, because maybe the last 10 years or so has been a lot of the vaping stuff yeah. come up. So, okay. So, you got caught at school with weed and so you got suspended mm-hmm. or something? Yes. So, that was yes. a bad day.
1: Yes. And they were very, very angry. My parents yeah. were very angry. Okay. Which is normal. I, yeah. Anger happens when you're scared. Yeah, Anger happens when you don't know what to do. When something is out of your control, you get angry. So that's normal, yeah. but it's not yeah. necessarily right.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. And the drugs is not anywhere on their radar to get that message that your kid got suspended for having drugs. I'm sure the freak out mode was just in high gear.
1: I think they were very scared.
0: Yeah. Yes. Now, and then it continued and then the heroin, and I'm sure that was very stressful for your family. Did they shut you out? Did they enable you? Was it somewhere in the
1: middle? Uh, Somewhere in the middle. They were definitely there for me as much as they could be. You know, they made it clear that if I ever wanted help, they would be there. They would help me with that. Mm -hmm. But they didn't let you
0: use substances in your house or did they let you stay there or did they say, no, you can't stay here anymore?
1: My mom did continue to let me stay with her for a while. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What would you have wished they would have done differently? No one can
0: go back and we're not blaming anyone, but if you could do it all over again, or what do you wish you had done differently
1: or them? I mean, you know, I appreciate everything that my parents did for me throughout my addiction. I mean, they were there for me in the only way that they knew how, you know, and they they did great with that. But if if anything, I would say that I wish that I could have been more open with them. Mm-hmm. I wish that we could have had those talks, like mm-hmm. like you said. Hey, I I tried this. You know, mm-hmm. I'm feeling a little nervous about it, mm-hmm. and and discuss those things with them. I think that that connection plays a huge role, not only in, you know, not only in having a great relationship with your child, but also preventing them from continuing to make bad decisions because Mm -hmm. those conversations can really open their eyes and change their perspectives in ways Mm -hmm. that conversations with their friends aren't going to do. Yeah
0: yeah your friends also don't have their frontal lobes developed yet, either, right? You're all like adolescents are just like
1: mm-hmm. not fully
0: formed brains yet, not till they're like twenty five. So much better if you can get your same for sex like we were talking about before. those kind of really crucial conversations, much better with a grown up that's studied things and learned things and and really has thought these things through. So the more we can stay connected with our kids, we want them to come to us. So, Taking deep breaths <laughs> when they tell you something shocking, it's really hard for me to be shocked anymore after all that we've been through. But yeah, there is still sometimes I'm gonna have to be like, okay, <laughs> how are we gonna deal with this? Yeah, again? and I totally get it. I mean, it's just not what you had planned for your child, right? It's not your dreams for your child to have them get suspended or, you know, get addicted to heroin. It's not on the agenda. But sometimes that's the way it is. That's what's in front of you. And then you just have to be the one to stay grounded and deal with it. (sighs) It's tough. It's tough. Well, and you are now, you're almost to getting your LCSW. Yay. Good job. I know that's a lot of schooling. And then you also are a recovery coach. And I don't know exactly what that is. Can you tell us what it means to be a recovery coach?
1: Yeah. So a recovery coach basically... Walks alongside of people who are in early recovery, helps them rebuild their lives, helps them pick up the pieces of their addiction, and provides support at a time in their life when there typically is none. Typically, when you return home from treatment or from jail, that's where the support ends, but there's actually still a lot of work to be done. Yeah. So that's kind of where recovery coaching comes in.
0: Yeah. I don't think they keep people nearly long enough in those kind of treatment centers and insurance poops out too soon or, you know, Uh I think it's a much longer process than people are willing to pay for or are able to pay for. I mean, some of those places are so expensive and the insurance doesn't cover it. So, ah, so the recovery coaching kind of comes in right at that critical juncture and helps kind of rebuild your life. Is that what you're saying? Kind of the practical aspects of it now we need to go get a job, that kind of thing. Yes,
1: yep. A lot of the practical aspects of it, yes, because in an addiction or a criminal history can really limit you mm-hmm. and hold you back when you yeah. are going through those practical motions of rebuilding. So, yeah, we kind of help with that and work through that. And then also learn how to manage cravings and triggers and mm-hmm find those tools within yourself that you need to stay clean long-term also. Okay. Is it similar to having a sponsor in a 12-step program? Kind of. I mean, a sponsor focuses on the 12 steps. They walk you through those 12 steps, which is specifically an AA or NA-based program. Mm -hmm. So this program is a little bit different because it incorporates a lot more aspects to it than just those 12 steps. Gotcha. Gotcha. So it's a little broader, but it could go alongside
0: someone doing AA or NA.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I recommend everybody that I work with go to meetings and get a sponsor and work the 12 steps. If that's, you know, Um, everybody's path is different. Meetings are not for everybody, but mm -hmm. I think they're great. Yeah. There's also
0: smart recovery and a bunch of other ones that are not AA or NA if you don't like the 12 steps, but I know they work for a lot of people. And then I think some people think that's all there is, but there's way more, lots and lots of ways to to figure out your recovery path, right?
1: Yes. And smart recovery is coming around more and more. I believe you can actually get trained in smart recovery for free online and start your own meetings if there's not any in your area.
0: Wow. Yeah. When Joey was first having trouble, I joined the family and friends groups and they were very helpful. So practical. I found it to be a lot more practical than the the 12-step programs.
1: Yeah. And I think meetings are great for parents too, who Mm -hmm. are in this position, Al-Anon meetings too, in particular, I know my parents went to those and found them really helpful. Mm -hmm. It's a whole new world. You know, when you find out that your kids are using, your head is spinning, you're not sure what to do. And I think those meetings are a great place to, to start and find some support. Yeah. Finding other people that are having the same thing. You
0: want to find the families that don't drop their jaw when they hear your story. You want them to go, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I yes. happen to us too. If You want to find those people so you don't feel so alone and so you can ask questions, learn from each other, learn what not to do
1: sometimes or learn what to do. Yes, You know, that's really and important. You have to learn to take care of yourself throughout this yes. also. Yes, absolutely. I think parents tend to be hyper-focused on their kids at this time. What do I need to do? How do I fix them? But- Yeah, I did that for
0: a full year at least. Yeah, I was like, super mom, I will take care of this. Don't worry, I will fix you. And people don't really (laughs) like to be fixed, first of all. And secondly, I couldn't fix him. There's nothing I can do. The ball was in his court. And so I had to shift quite a bit. And what I learned through my life coach Uh, Heather Ross, by the way, who's amazing, is to take care of myself first, first, which is like, what? What? I thought I was supposed to take care of my kid first. I mean, this whole life, you're focused on the kid, the kid, the kid, the kid. Like, nope, now it's your turn. And so then, oh, that's not so fun. Because then when you start looking at yourself, you're like, oh, that's (laughs) why I'm so triggered by this happening. Oh, okay. Okay. So in our introduction, I always say I'm walking beside him as he works on his recovery and I work on my own personal growth and healing. His recovery has spurred a giant growth spurt in me and my wife too, out of necessity because we had to figure out how to get through this thing. But everybody in the whole system has an opportunity to learn and grow with whoever is addicted. Absolutely, it's not just them. It's not just yeah for sure because the addiction was created within a system, right? We're not blaming any one individual in in the system, but the whole system is takes part in it in one way or another.
1: Yeah. The whole system is impacted. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I think it's important to remember to not be so hard on yourself during that time too because the person in addiction is not the only person going through something. The family sure. is too.
0: Sure. Yeah. Yes, for sure. That's for sure. Yeah, it does kind of throw you off your uh, your game for a while. That's for sure. Yeah, the support is really crucial. If people wanted to hire you or a recovery coach in general, do they just pay cash? Or is it through insurance? Or is it through an organization? Or do they just find an individual? How does it work with recovery coaching nowadays?
1: There are recovery coaches implemented in all types of different facilities throughout the country. There are recovery coaches in inpatient facilities. They are in hospitals. They are in mental health facilities. and then there are standalone ones, like me also. okay, so it kind of depends on where you're at with things. Mm-hmm. I personally, I do not go through insurance because I'm a standalone entity. Uh-huh. So, my services, I offer packages. I offer three and six week one-on-one coaching packages where we kind of map out your whole goal from beginning recovery to getting to a strong recovery and getting to where you want to be in your life. Mm -hmm. And so those are just booked from my website. And then I do also offer family consultations when people do find out that their children are using and their head is left spinning and they're not sure what to do or where to turn. That's kind of a good first step. It's just an hour long consultation where you can speak with you know, a, a professional who has experience and you yeah. can ask all of your questions, get all of those questions out and figure out what you need to do for your child and what you need to do for yourself. That would
0: have been so useful. I'll tell you, that would have saved me a lot, <laughs> a lot of uh, angst, if I had found someone like you way back when. So, if this is anyone's, you know, first foray into having your kid uh, involved in substances at all, or addiction, or or someone you love, anybody, use these resources like like Tracy and get the help you need right away. So it can get you on the path and get your resources behind you, so you can be the most effective as you can be so their loved one can recover quicker.
1: Yes. This does not have to be a horribly traumatic experience. No, it it, it can be a really
0: a good growth experience. And, and everybody, ideally, everybody comes
1: out in better shape than before, right? Yeah. Including your relationships. You might be surprised to find that those could come out in better shape than before. Yeah. All right, is your relationship with your family um, better now? Yes.
0: Than when you were a kid, it's most much closer. I'm sure because you had to bear yourself, right? You had to like. Ugh. It is, yeah. There's no hiding after a certain point.
1: <laughs> I'm <laughs> right? very, very close with all of my family. We have a really great relationship today. Oh, that's so great! I
0: bet they're super, super proud of you.
1: Yeah. I mean, back then you just, you wouldn't have thought that we would be here today. So Yeah. Oh my gosh. Is there anything that I didn't ask that you would like to talk about? I would like to mention, I th- I think that a lot of parents blame themselves
0: mm-hmm.
1: when they first find out that their kids are using.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I wanted them to hear from someone who has been an addict that it's not your fault.
0: Yeah. It's really nobody's fault, right? Even the addict, it's not their fault really either. It's just it's just how life goes, right? It is. It is. And
1: the choice that, that your child makes is not a reflection of your parenting. Mm-hmm. Children make their own decisions for numerous reasons. Like we talked about before, there could be a lot of underlying factors mm-hmm. there. So... Your child made their decision on their own. That's not a reflection of your parenting and it's not your fault yeah. that they're in this situation. My parents struggled for a long time yeah. with that, thinking it was their fault that I was going through what I was going through. Yeah. And that's just not true. I certainly struggle with that myself. And what I realized for me is that
0: it doesn't help make anything better. Okay. So, so say it's true. I am. It is my fault. Even still. Okay. That doesn't help anybody (laughs) to dwell in it. So, okay, let's just see what what are we doing right now. What's right in front of my face? What's my next step to take care of myself? And what can I do for my kid? That's really that's really healthy. That's really good.
1: That is really healthy.
0: Well, Tracy, I respect you so much for being open about your your journey and for being so willing to share it with others and to help others. As you know, your job, as your life work, is to help others to recover. And I think that's Really, really awesome. I hope everybody looks into recovery coaching that could use it. And if people wanted to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to find you?
1: The best way would be my website, which is just tracystruckman.com. And you can look into all of the information on one on one coaching or family consultations there on the website. And then, of course, I'm on social media also sharing okay. um, tips and insight as well.
0: Okay. I'll put all those links on the show notes. So go ahead and look below. Well, thanks again, Tracy. It's been really great getting to know you. I wish you all the best with your very important work. And I want to remind the listeners to also look up Safe Home Podcast on all the social media outlets as well. And you can support our podcast and other events by becoming a Patreon member. Go to patreon.com safe home and for just a few bucks a month you can support what we're doing here and help us maintain our commercial free podcast and we also do workshops and things like that our website is safehomefamilies.com so you can see what events are are happening right now as well so tracy thank you very much for for being present here i really appreciate you being here
1: thank you so much for having me beth i really appreciate it Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. And
0: Tracy and I want everyone to stay Stay safe. safe.